Marhaba, and welcome to the Matrix Green Pill, where real people connect. Hello and welcome back to the Matrix Green Pill podcast. I'm Hilmarie Hutchison, and today I'm again joined by my lovely co-host, Victoria. Welcome, Victoria. Hello, Hilmarie. Thanks for having me with you today. It's so lovely to have you on the podcast again. Today, we are super excited to introduce Alex Thomas, a Canadian entrepreneur, business leader, husband, and father. He's also the co-founder of Ottawa-based Sea Ridge Technologies and more recently the author of Man in Motion. Hello, Alex, and welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. Let's jump right into it. So some of our listeners will definitely already know your story, but for those who don't, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit more how you ended up here in the UAE? So my full name is uh, Alex Thomas Sorrell. So as a writer, it's under uh, Alex Thomas, but in business, it's uh, my full name. And I ended up in the UAE a couple of years ago, a few months just before uh, the pandemic started, actually. I moved here with my wife with basically the idea of expanding the business that you guys were talking about at the beginning, Sirius Technologies. In a growth phase, we had customers all around the world and Dubai was a much easier place to get to the Far East where a lot of the business activity was for me. And it was an opportunity for my wife as well uh, to uh, expand her career. And like I said, that was three months before the pandemic started. So everything changed when uh, COVID started. Do we want to get right into that? What was the change for once COVID hit? For me, it was multidimensional because I had started writing on my way to Dubai. It was about two months when we, because we were doing the final preparations, I sort of was starting to question, why are we moving? You know, I have four kids between us. They were older. They're kind of in college and everything. It's been home. Canada's been home for a long time. And uh, so I was just questioning myself, like, is this the right move? What are we doing? And I was, the writing was sort of cathartic to be able to work through some of these thoughts. I was also noticing a lot of change in, the culture in Canada, in sort of the tradition, in the value system. I, I was kind of confused by a lot of what was going on. I've always loved coming to Dubai. There's, um, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the entrepreneurial spirit or the sort of spiritual foundation of the country that I've always felt good when I'm here. And so, and I want to explore that as well. And then on the way to Dubai, I stopped for a business meeting in London and also took a weekend uh, at an urban a spiritual retreat with a shaman that was fairly profound and I detailed that in the book. So that was sort of a kind of a moment of illumination in my life as well. And so that set in motion a whole series of events. And then when the pandemic started, I was probably halfway through writing a book that I didn't really know that I was writing at the time. And then that ended up getting published here in Dubai uh, last month. So before we talk about the book, I want to just take one step back and ask you, we know that you have spent most of your life as a tech entrepreneur. So can you please share with us your backstory about how did you get into that? I started programming really young, like I think I was probably eight or nine years old. My dad uh, got me a computer and uh, in order to learn uh, to play video games, I had to actually learn how to program because there wasn't really a lot of video games around at the time for that particular computer. So I had to go to library, get magazines and I so self-taught programming and I just became fairly skillful at it. So by the time I was a teenager, I was just really good at it, uh, better than some people that had been in their careers for quite a while. And so I just started helping 
helping people solve problems. And eventually I worked my way into a situation in uh, where I was doing work for a large uh, air traffic control agency in Canada. Well, the only one was formerly a government department. There's so much work to do here that if I started a company, I could probably um, do more of that work. And and uh, my neighbor at the time had all the qualities in a person that I didn't have for myself. So it was kind of interesting. He was uh, a real attractive charismatic, nice, kind-hearted, all these things that I didn't really, <laughs> I, I don't, you know, at least then I didn't really get along with people, much more introverted. So I thought we'd make a real good duo. So we met up in a coffee shop and started the business. And I think uh, 15 years later, the company was acquired by the UK government, with essentially the UK government and the Canadian government. So that was four years ago. And then uh, I left the company last year and started, uh, finished the book and then started uh, my new venture that actually launched uh, this week. That's amazing. So let's switch bit direction. Congratulations, a brand new recent book, Man in Motion. How did you get into writing? And was it something that you had planned or did it happen by accident? More on the accidental side. I probably at some level, you know, I love writing. I love communicating in that form. I love literature. So I always, a few people have said, oh, you got to write a book. You clearly have something in you and, and that, that's got to get out. So, so yeah, so I've always written on the side, but never really just shared it with friends and stuff. What I was started writing about was this sort of change in the culture that I was seeing. I'm like, this is what some of the strange is going on here. You had the U.S. political system that was kind of wobbly. Just a lot of things were happening in the world that were... By that point in my career also, I knew enough people in senior positions that I would ask them questions. Like I would be with somebody in China who's, you know, the chairman of a big company and 65 years old who's seen a lot of life go through. And I'm like, well, how do you see the world right now? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> you know so, so a lot of the people were in the same situation where nobody seem to know, uh, have a sort of place they could point to as, oh, this is just like 1900 whatever. This is, just, you know, we're going through this cycle. And so I was sort of exploring that. And then the big change happened in my own life within that chairman retreat that I talk about in the book. And then the book started to take on a different flavor. It became much more um, introspective and more about sort of love and beauty in my own life, just as a result of that uh, weekend in London. And then it just became a story. It just became something that I had shared it with a few people close to me and they loved it. And then I went through the process of editing. You know, I went through a few different editors to see, do I want to release this publicly? I think it hit a point where it was, I thought it was something I was proud of. Then then I reached out to a publisher here locally and then went through with them working and, and they were DreamWorks. This is a, a Dubai a publisher who was just amazing. And they put a lot of care and attention into just polishing it and bringing it, you know, thinking about the reader and really just making, focusing on the accessibility and things. That's how that all came about. And now I just love write. I write whenever I can and already working on the next book. So we can say that for you at some point, it became more a personal journey. That book is about a personal journey. I think it starts in a place where my life was disrupted. I got divorced, I think about eight or nine years ago, you know, which I think is no big deal today, but it was a huge deal to me at the time. It was partly because just my whole identity was wrapped up in being a dad, a husband. I just didn't couldn't imagine my life any other way. And so I, I really had a hard time. There's a lot of grieving in, in that process and then how to sort of navigate my way through it. So so there was sort of some elements there. But a lot earlier than that, I think even as, as young as a child, I've, I'd say I've all, always been on somewhat of a mystical journey. I've always been fascinated by all religions and spirituality and uh, 
uh, just just like curious, like why does this one say this and this one say that, and trying to learn. And the people I love listening to would be like monks and old rabbis and imams, like without prejudice, just listening and seeing how they see the world. So that world always appealed to me. And then I noticed as I was growing in my own personality, in my own character, that the teachers, the people that I was learning from, there was less and less of them. And I got to a point where I wasn't really learning anything new anymore or, or able to actualize anything new. I felt like I was sort of ready to start talking. Uh, and so the book, in a lot of ways, has some of those elements that I've learned along the way. And I'm sharing not as a, this is how you should live or anything like that. It's just things that I've learned that I've put into practice in my life that uh, have led to fun and adventure. That's very deep. That's very interesting. And how did you manage the transition of switching careers? It was difficult because I'm a worker. You know, I started young. I think my first actual job was a paper route when I was 12, worked at McDonald's. Like, I love working. Like, I'm just I'm good at it. I can, it doesn't really matter what the job is. So, so that's part of my identity as well. When the pandemic started, I voluntarily left the position I was in. And it was a good position, paid really well. And it was taking care of a lot of comfort, you know, comfort and needs and stuff and security and to sort of voluntarily put myself in that position of insecurity and not knowing the future. It was that part was uncomfortable, but it, it matched. It was funny because I probably had I not written the book, I wouldn't have done that. The book has towards, especially towards the end, has an ethos in it. And the way I was, the things I was saying to my kids, I wasn't living by the same things. I said, no, I've got to do, because what was happening in my career was even during the pandemic, I wasn't adding any value to the company. So they were paying me a lot of money, but I'm not really giving anything back. And that just didn't sit well with me. So actually letting that go was challenging. And then the other part, it's part of your identity. So if you're not working and like, what are you doing? I'm doing yoga <laughs> and I'm working out. It doesn't feel right to me. I spent a year learning how to do nothing really well. Just be disciplined about doing nothing and learning how to meditate well, learning how to take care of, be disciplined in, in other parts of my life, learning how to be bored really well. And that actually has been a huge gift to me, like how, how to just be live through those moments well and not have to be active and change things and always be uh, running. So now as I re-enter this new venture, I feel a lot more clarity and disciplined in how I can kind of go about things. In today's world where there is a lot of talk about equal opportunity, where and how do you think the concept of redefining masculinity fits in? I tried. It's funny because on the social topics, I feel where I steer out of them a little bit. There's just a lot of people with opinions and talking and exploring the issue. And I think the whole dynamic between men and women is yet to be figured out. We've kind of gone through a lot. Like I think the change in the last 50 years, 100 years has been substantial and good in terms of freedom and liberty and having access to power and governance and all this sort of stuff. So how the role of a man the or the different roles of a man for me i'm i just focus on being authentic to myself i tell my son the same thing like there's certain things that i learned from my grandfather about respect and things that that i haven't always lived by i don't want to preach to anybody that i'm some angel and then as it comes to equal opportunity that's such an interesting i mean i get into a little bit in my book like it's probably not going to be an easy answer but i think more in terms of asymmetries there's sort of these differences between men and women across the whole spectrum. And I think we haven't yet really figured out how to balance those asymmetries. So the words I would tend to use more is more hard. And I wouldn't use the words like a equal as a sort of something to strive for as much as harmony and balancing the asymmetries. So I think there's a line in the book where we say, I can't remember, but it was something like trying to balance or sexual organs on a corporate board, like we should have six of those, six of those, when the whole structure was designed three, four hundred years ago in a sort of very male 
Eurocentric way of thinking about the world. So if we kind of fast forward is if you redesigned the whole corporate ecosystem, what would it look like? It was in balance. I think it would look quite a bit different. Would you even have a board? Would you have one CEO? Would you have two? Like there's just different things that we would look at. I took you down a journey there that's just to not have to answer that question. <laughs> that was lovely. So it's not striving for equality, but striving for harmony. That's what I got out of that. Equality is a mathematical, right? It's sort of a weird thing. And I hear it used so often today. And I think it's such a difficult thing to, you know, because like I'm more organic. Like I look at nature, show me something that's equal in nature. What tree is equal to another? I just don't think that way. So I see the whole forest, like this whole forest is kind of doing this thing. And I'll see when we look at culture, it's like, how do we progress as a culture towards more harmony and individual liberty? I think that's a huge thing. I don't want to gloss over the victories for women in the last 50 or 60 years around liberty. I think that's like, for me, I'm a huge believer in individual liberty of anybody, including children, like just sort of, uh, so that's something there. So you mentioned at the outset that part of your book was written in Dubai during the pandemic. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I mean, almost all of it was written in Dubai during the pandemic. I think there was a, a few chapters probably started just before in terms of when I was writing, but it was on my way to Dubai or in Dubai or in London and when I was traveling from when I was in Dubai. So I think in Dubai, we had six weeks of lockdown and I got a lot of writing done. There was a lot of period time for introspection during those six weeks because, you know, it sort of felt like nobody knew what was going to happen in that period. We've never experienced anything where all of aviation shuts down, which is the industry I'm in. And how do we recover from something like this? What are we going to look like coming out? Like, I tend to think a lot about the future three, five years because I have to for the work that I do. And so I was looking and it was like, wow, this is a weird time because there's a lot of people aren't able to see three to five years out because things are changing. Economies are going to change. And I think we're starting to see some of the impact of that today where things are going to look a little bit different over the next five years than the last five years for sure. So I did a lot of writing in that six week period. And then it was basically a year after of really smoothing it. And it wasn't just smoothing out the writing, like from an editing point of view. But if I say that going into the pandemic, I was almost angry. Like there's this energy of like, what's going on here? Like who's in charge and what are we doing? It just felt rudderless. The Canada, the the sort of the general quality of leadership in North America, maybe even in Europe, just felt like a low caliber of leadership. I value leadership quite a bit. And so I felt there was strong leadership here. I felt in Singapore and a few different places, there was some really strong leadership Taiwan, some great women leaders as well, you know, Angela Merkel in Germany, but I felt we weren't seeing anywhere near that in North America. So there's a lot of frustration, but as I was writing and doing the editing, it was like passing an iron over every thought until it became more loving. Like it was the end of it is every chapter is I felt this is sort of the most loving version of myself in that situation. To me, it's something I strive for to to be more generous in in the way I think about the world. Now, I was just quickly going to drop in this question. Did you have any kind of writer's block during this time or did it just all flow naturally? Yeah, none at all. No, I'm, most of my blocks, if, to the extent that I had them, was more around. So I think the book was like the amount that I wrote was three times the size. So I had a lot to say. <laughs> so, so writing, getting stuff on paper is just not an issue for me. It's more about creating a cohesive story that isn't try to making as engaging as possible within the parameters of my own life. So it was really more around cutting and architecting the story in a way that showed a journey. So picking scenes and things like that. 
that. What are some tips you would give other people who dream of writing a book someday? Well, the first thing is just to write and commit to the process of writing. And if you can write a thousand words a day and you commit to that 90 days, that's 90,000 words, that's enough for a book. And uh, so if you just get in that habit, you just automatically get, for me anyway, I think you, you automatically get better. And then depending on the subject matter, what you write about, what you care about, finding a really good editor that connects with you on what you're trying to do. You know, I went through three or four different editors along the way. Each one brought me something. You know, one was much more about grammar and really wasn't really interested in any of the content. One was much more about content, but really not interested in the story. Like and things like that. So really finding an editor that is vibing with you on a level that you want to is so critical. And then bracing yourself for impact. Some people are going to like it, hopefully. Some people are, are going to not like it and that's just the way it's going to be. So being getting comfortable with that part. And yeah, and you put yourself out there and see how it goes. Very interesting insights. I like that. So what is one thing that you wish you knew when you started out your career? It's funny, you know, and on the career side, don't look back. This question came up the other day. There was a quote, I think, somewhere on the internet of me saying, I don't look back. And it's just the way I'm in a race, I'm running. Occasionally, I'm going to trip and fumble. I just get up and go. And for somebody starting out, and especially if you're in entrepreneurship, you're not going to get anywhere without making a lot of mistakes, I don't think. And so make them pick yourself up and keep going. And I think if I would underline anything for everybody, if you're persistent and uh, you're willing to sacrifice, you'll get somewhere, whether or not it's here or here, but you'll get somewhere. You're going to learn a lesson every time you, you fall. And as long as you keep getting up, you'll um, get there. I love that. I think that's excellent advice. So you've accomplished a lot so far. What are some of your future goals or, or what is next for Alex? Certainly, I'd like to do more in the realm of culture and religion. I think there is what I've discovered over the last 30 or 40 years is there's a treasure trove of humanity that's buried in religion. And I say buried because I think the way it's expressed today, I'll speak for the Catholic Church because that's the only place I can comfortably offer some constructive criticism because that's how I grew up and I've paid the money. So I feel good. I feel on solid ground that I can say. But you look at, you look at something like the Catholic Church where they've got like you look at some of the writings of the mystics, the saints, like these people were Jesus, uh, were Shakespearean geniuses. They just had an insight into humanity and a love of humanity that was so profound and they're kind of buried. And if you go to sort of a Sunday mass, you're not going to tap into any of that those incredible writings. You know, they stick very closely to the script. I think exposing people to some of that beauty is something I want to do a lot more of. And I see it in across all the boards. And, that, and there's some people that do this really well. So bringing that and exposing that world to my peer group, which would be sort of secular professionals who think religion is for weak-minded, uh, poor people. You know, like that's anyway, that's sort of an exaggeration. But it's a lot of people in the scientific community are sort of have this browse-up attitude towards the religious experience. And I, I write this at the end of my book. I think science is being held back by that attitude. I think there's a profound misunderstanding of religion today in the scientific community. And I think whatever I can to help bridge that. And then on culture as well, I think there's things that the way we talk to each other, what we talk about, there's a huge, like the size and scope of some of our challenges over the next 30 or 40 years and our ability to communicate is 
you know, we're communicating at a kindergarten level and our problems are of university level. You know what I mean? And so do whatever I can to add to that conversation in, in my own way. I'd like to do for sure. And then on the business, because I know the aviation sector really well, the new company is in aviation, but it's really focused around sustainability. So there's a generation of new aircraft coming on that are electric, shorter range. There's a lot of really neat things happening in the aviation industry. And I'd like to contribute to that happening faster and at scale, because I think that's something that's really going to change the way we move around. And I think that's cool. Yeah, I think anything with sustainability is absolutely forward looking. And that's the way where everything is going. Very good. Yeah, for sure. And earlier you mentioned the second book, Am I Right? Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about it? Uh, really two separate books. They may come together later on. Like uh, my plan is to take two years to write an interesting story. There's two places that pull me. One is there's, I like exploring the literary side a little bit, but I also like exploring the personal introspective parts. So the personal introspective part is um, what I call Khalil Gibran's love, which is if you ever read these in The Prophet, there's a text on love. And the way Khalil Gibran describes love, it's almost unpleasant. <laughs> like it talks about getting like torn apart by love and everything. And that fascinates me because I think a lot of people will say, I'm in love today, but really what they mean is I've just met this person. I'm infatuated. I'm full of desire and passion and exuberance. And I'm excited about the future. Fast forward four or five years and they're sitting across and the way that other person eats their soup, drives them bananas. That to me is that day when you sort of the trust breaks down. You're sort of, that's the start of love. That's the journey of love when it's right there. And I think that's really interesting. And I've seen it so much in my parents who were these tragic figures. And if I can find a way to artfully write about their story in a respectful way that honors them, but at the same time shows this sort of messiness of two in a way kind of dysfunctional adults uh, trying to love each other and missing more than that. I think that's really interesting. The second line, the second book is this two things is this, I just love the culture here. I feel like we're, one, we're experiencing a renaissance. This is coming from me, but there's this huge renaissance in the Middle East uh, where you see countries coming together that before they weren't together. There's so much more advanced in so many areas than the country I left uh, back home. There's this wonderful interplay between this religious substrate and the culture and the progression of women and, and women's rights and liberty. At the same time, this sort of balance of modesty and, and tradition. And I think that whole thing fascinates me. The feminine, what was called the divine feminine and woman leadership, I think is totally different than male-centric leadership. I don't want to say better, but I think what I said earlier about harmony and everything, I think figuring out a way for those to harmonize a little bit. So if you think about uh, the models that we have from the last hundred years, like somebody might say a Churchill or, you know, you give a powerful speech and that what's the feminine equivalent? Because it can't be Thatcher because she was sort of this, almost like it's still using this sort of Churchill model. And I feel when I interact with women leaders here, it's different. It feels different. It feels much more just different. That's the part I want to explore is really powerful, dignified, graceful, feminine leadership. I think that's something, just an area that I think we're going to see so much of it over the next 10, 20 years. That sounds so interesting. I'm already looking forward to both those books. Excellent. Alex, thank you so much for your insights that you've shared with us so far. It's been an excellent uh, conversation. But now we've come to the segment of our show. We will each ask you a couple of rapid fire questions. So our version of a game show. Okay, okay. Are you ready? No, but you go ahead. It's rapid fire, so I'm not supposed to be ready, right? Exactly. Okay. So what's your pet peeve? My son right now. He's living uh, just next door to me. <laughs> he drives me bananas. If you could start a movement that would bring the most amount of good to the most amount of people, what would it be? I'd like 
to expose young women to the mystics. Uh, there's a mystic among them. What is your dream vacation? Is it something that is laid back now? They're laid back. Yeah, it doesn't matter where. Just my family around me, just being enjoying each other, card games, friends, like just very laid back, yeah. What is one thing you do on a daily basis, regardless of how busy you are? I'm proud to say, because this is new in my life over the last year, is uh, I walk every day. I live in a place called Sustainable City, where there's a lot of trees and animals and chickens. And I think that nourishes me. And I meditate every day. And most days I work out. And if I can get through at least two of those three things, I, I, I'm, I'm mentally, I'm amazing. Thank you for playing along. Now, before we wrap up, we would like to do our green pool moment. So for this segment, we'd like to ask you, what green pool advice would you give to your younger self? is actually, I think the first or second chapter in the book, I actually have a section where I refer to myself as the man writing, differentiating from the boy who was living through those moments that I'm writing about, which is sort of a weird kind of thing. But it was to get around this issue where I'm writing about these young men's moments, I'm writing them as this sort of person that has this uh, more introspection. And I say, like, if I could tell that boy only this, it would be to, I think, something like trust that the arc of life bends toward goodness. If you view the world as fundamentally for you, or against you, there's such a huge difference in how you live your life. And it's subtle. Like a lot of people will have this bias where the world is for them. Good things are going to happen. Naturally kind of optimistic, which I'm much more in that category today. And the category I would have been in for most of my life is the world is against me. I'm fighting it. I got to fight for my every inch that I get. And so I didn't trust the world. Living with this sort of attitude of, we can even call it faith, but this attitude that things are going to generally work out because the world is fundamentally a good place. And I'm part of this whole thing. And I'd even go as far as seeing it's underpinned some of our cultural issues today. If I can just sort of take going a little thing is you sort of see it in science where there's this attitude of almost work. We're, we're coming from an outer space where these colonialists that have come to this earth to dominate it. And it's against us. You know, the viruses that are coming out of nature, everything is against us. And we have to like do all these things to survive as opposed to you flip that around and say, no, we're actually from the earth the way like an orange is from a tree. Like, this earth is giving birth to us. And so, we, you know, our role is just to sort of exist within this biosphere and serve it like you would serve your family. There's this great intelligence built into the earth that we just have to sort of align with. And once you align with it, life gets a lot easier. So in, in both those respects, if I could tell the young version of myself is trust that everything is fine. Like your body is fine. Your mind is fine. <laughs> like just try to align. You know, it could be that your environment's not fine and you've got to sort of deal with that, but try to find harmony and things are just going to work, fall your way. So what I'm hearing is mindset is the way you approach things. And it takes time to develop, but, but take a chance to build that trust that kind of a faith in, in life brings that, uh, you know, you can't just say, hey, trust that, you know, this is all going to work out. It's sort of fanciful thinking. But if you take some time to build trust uh, tomorrow morning, if you miss that flight, it's a good thing. Some better things going to come along. That being able to trust the world, trust life, trust if you're into this sort of religious space, trust that this creative force is not out to get you. It's there to help you. It's sort of a fundamentally different way of thinking, you know for me. Thank you very much for sharing your fantastic story with us today. I am so sure our audience will thoroughly enjoy this conversation as much as we have. Perfect. Thank you very much for having me and I look forward to uh, listening to you guys. Before we say goodbye, could you please tell our audience where they can find you and follow you? We'll put this in the show note as well. Sure. So on Instagram, it's uh, at.thewriter and um, on LinkedIn, I'm Alex Oriol and those are the only two social media. Thank goodness. Thank you again for joining us today and for your insight. We wish you all the very best. And you guys too. 
If you enjoy our conversations, please like and subscribe. See you next Wednesday.